a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 116 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to different sportscasters from all around the country. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. Once again, I'm recording in the world-famous Say the Damn Score studio, a.k.a. my spare bedroom in Burnsville, Minnesota. Not much has changed here in the last month and a half, uh, much less from last episode. We are still under a stay-at-home order, there are still no sports, and it doesn't appear to be on the verge of changing anytime soon. With that in mind, I figured now would be as good a time as any to experiment and try some things with the podcast, since I have time and nothing else to do. The basic premise of this show has always been to have people from the broadcasting business tell their stories and share advice through in-depth one-on-one conversations. That's not going to change. But I've always wanted to find a way to make this show a little more interactive, include the listeners a little bit. Which is why at the conclusion of this interview, and I think we'll do it for the next couple at least, we will have our first ever Answer the Damn Question mailbag segment. At the conclusion of the interview, I'll answer any questions, I'll give opinions on anything you want me to give opinions on, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, I will be open, honest, and We'll get to know each other a little bit. If you like that idea, I'll make this a feature going forward. Just submit a question on Twitter to at Radio underscore Logan and use hashtag SayTheDamnScore. You can also send me questions through just about any other outlet you choose. You can email me at SayTheDamnScore at gmail.com. You can comment on the Facebook page if you know me or can find my number. You can text me. Whatever works for you. Uh, I'd like to make this a recurring bit. So uh, just let me know if there's anything you want to hear about the business, about uh, my sports fandom, about my weird eccentricities, whatever. And we'll do it together. This week's guest is Dick Vital, the legendary analyst for ESPN's college basketball coverage. And he's been doing it for over 40 years. As he'll talk about later in this conversation, he's extremely passionate about raising money for cancer research through the Jimmy V Foundation. In support of that mission, I've set up a GoFundMe account to accept donations for that purpose. I set it up for a goal of $500, and you can give through the Donate tab on the top of SayTheDamnScore.com or on the link in the show notes. I'll post it on social media. It will go directly to the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. I know it's hard times right now, but if 50 of the listeners, and I know we have well more than 50 listeners, would just give 10 bucks, I know I'm going to probably give 25 We can hit that goal pretty quickly and make a small difference in the lives of those suffering from cancer. Anyway, now that that's all out of the way, this week's guest, 
Again, the legendary Dick Vital from ESPN. And Dick, welcome to the show. And what are you doing during your quarantine? Well, you know, just doing uh, what other people are doing, you know, trying to follow all the rules, Logan, you know, distancing, social distancing, and doing all the things, staying home most of the day, go out occasionally to go to a store. But uh, when I do, wear my gloves and mask the whole bit. So, again, uh, you know, just do what everybody wants, what needs to be done, really. And we're going to beat this disease. we got to all unite and all get together and make sure, because really the priorities right now are not sports. The priority is the health and safety of our people. Did you ever think you'd live in a time where going to the store was the highlight of your day? It's amazing. It really is. That's a good point you just made. And we're to that point, you know, getting out of the car, take my wife occasionally on a beautiful sunny day here in Florida, which is not today, today raining. But uh, bottom line, the weather's been great. So I just said, let's get in the car. We're not going to go mingle with anybody. Just go for a nice long ride and just to get out of the house. Because after a while, especially a guy like myself who loves being with people, man, all my life I've Always loved being with people. In fact, in my yearbook in high school, I saw just uh, about a couple of months ago, underneath my picture, it said, everybody's buddy. And that's really been my philosophy in life. Well, we're not here to talk about what we're doing in social distancing. This podcast is a professional development podcast, mostly for play-by-play guys, but just broadcasters in general. And I wanted, I've listened to a lot of interviews with you to prepare for this and a lot of them do a great job of telling your story but i haven't really heard you dive in to the nitty-gritty on what makes a great broadcast from your angle and i want to start with what are the best qualities for you as an analyst for a play-by-play person to possess sitting next to you well you know first of all i want to make it very clear i've never considered myself to be a broadcaster you know logan i was just a jock man a coach uh, involving coaching all my life and get fired by the pistons and somebody hands me a microphone and they said go talk about the game you love but the real broadcasters the real stars to me and the ones that i get so in awe of are the guys i sit next to i mean the way to get in and out of commercials uh you want to you ask what are some of the qualities well first of all number one many of them have some great great voice number two they have ability to prepare their preparation is unbelievable they come into a telecast of the guys i work with over the years and i've worked with some giants man you think about them from brent musburger to keith jackson al michaels i've been next to those guys and guys like dan schumann and mike tarico and brad nestler and i mean the list goes on and john saunders it goes on and on and i've worked with so many and all of them the one common denominator preparation they were always prepared number two they know how to use their analysts. They know how to get in with questions that are pertinent to the game, pertinent to what's happening on the floor. And then the third thing that I always get really a, a kick out of, you know, it's easy to do a game when it's an unbelievable, tough, tough game and it's coming down the wire. Those things are exciting to do. Strategy's big. Decision-making's big. It's really handling the blowout. And some of these guys, they have a great way and especially with a guy like myself who likes talking about everything, they, they have a way of getting that out of me. They have a way of really uh, getting me to get going. And I think that's a talent that a, a broadcaster has to possess as well. Know his, know the strengths and weakness of the people that are sitting next to him as an analyst. It's got to be a key. But I've been blessed because I've worked with, you know, Hall of Famers, man. I've worked with guys that I just uh, love.
love them. They've become colleagues of mine, but they've become most of all friends of mine. And now working with Bob Bushusen, who does a terrific job. I work with Doug. Well, also Carl Ravage this year. I work with so many guys, and every one of them, like I said, their preparation is off the charts. What type of preparation do you do for your role as the analyst? I'm assuming it's quite a bit different than what a play-by-play guy would bring to the table. Yeah, you know, my preparation basically is geared around to strengths, weaknesses of the teams. I try to do what I call long-term preparation and short-term preparation. Long-term is I stay on top of all the teams all year long. You know, it's just too, I try to follow. And today, you know, it's a little bit easier to follow than years ago with all the stuff that's on the Internet. And you go there and you can find, you know, anything about most teams. So I try to stay abreast of how a team is doing. And then if I'm specifically going to be zeroing in on teams that I'm doing, then I make sure I call the coaches and speak to the coaches on the phone, find out who's playing well, who's struggling, how are they functioning, are they really on a roll right now, are they going through a slump right now, what player would be the guy I'd want to know who's going to make the big shot at the end of the game. I want to know basically their free throw shooting, especially in the last four minutes of a game. So little things like that, that that help you. You know, people get amazed sometimes. They'll say, where do you get all that stuff, all that knowledge? You just don't walk walk out there and sit next to your partner, and it just comes. I mean, that's preparation. I pride myself on it. I really do. I I think sometimes I over-prepare. I have so much that I want to get out, and you just can't get it all out because you've got the flow of the game to deal with as well. You mentioned in a previous answer that certain play-by-play guys are able to get you going in a blowout situation. What do they do for that? You seem like a guy who just kind of gets going when you get out of bed. Uh, What are some of the things that play-by-play guys do to get the best out of you? Well, you know, they, they know what I love. They know what I like. They know it from a Notre Dame fan. And let's say Notre Dame's coming up on a, a, a on television. I'll mention Notre Dame. Or I'll or mention, you know, they know I like the Rays in baseball. They'll bring up baseball. But they know. They, they've done their research. They know what what I'm really interested in. They follow basically what you're doing on Twitter. And people go to Twitter.com. They can get all my stuff at, at Twitter, Dickie V, because I put everything out there with football. Like right now I'm going wild about the Bucks in football. So the bottom line is they do that and they know that, you know, I'm not not shy to express an opinion. And I think that that they know it's going to come out as well. And and I've been doing that for 41 years. And, you know, I I, I get amazed sometimes because we live in a different world now in television in terms of the critiques out there with social media. Everything you do is analyzed, evaluated. And especially a guy like me right now, you know, I'm an easy target because, first of all, I'm 80 years old. Okay, so I have to protect against the fact that if I make a mistake, Logan, if a young guy makes a mistake, what do they say? They let it go, and they basically say, well, you know, he's young, he just slipped, he made, made, made an error. If I make an error at 80 and I, I screw up a player's name or whatever, you can guarantee it's over, not by all, but by those out there who sit and want to critique everything you do. He's senile, he's washed up, he's done, he's finished, man. So I even work harder now probably than I ever did in preparing because I don't want that to happen. And so far, knock wood, it hasn't happened because I really, I tell people I'll match my energy and enthusiasm with any 25-year-old. I mean, I'd be the first guy, Logan, and my bosses know this, I'd be the first guy if I felt that I was losing touch with the game and losing touch with the players and the coaches, I'd be the first to pick the phone up and say, you know what, man? 
It's been a great run. Are you kidding me? Think about this run I've had, Lifetime Achievement Award, and Emmy. I'm looking here in my office. I get blown away when I look at a wall, Hall of Fame honors, all over, 14 of them. And, and, I, and I know I've had a great career. So the bottom line is I would simply say I've made some good money. I'm done, finished. It's time for me to move out. The party's over. But I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I feel like 25, 26, until I look in the mirror, and then I know reality sets in. You said that you don't consider yourself a broadcaster. At what point did you leave the notion of going back into coaching behind and really become a broadcaster, even though you don't necessarily consider yourself with that title full-time? Was there a moment in time that that happened, or was it a kind of a slow burn? You know, I really think that's a great question, Logan, a really terrific question. When I got fired in 1979, I was really down, man. I was a boy, a ball, a dream. I was my buddy labeled me that back in New Jersey. A boy, a ball, a dream. Always with my ball, always my dreams. And I wanted to climb the ladder when I was a junior high coach, then went to high school, the whole bit. Lucky to win some state championships with some great kids. And then moved on and assistant at Rutgers. We do a great job. We recruit one of the best classes in the country. That class ultimately went to the Final Four in 1976. A lot of people don't know that. Final Four was Indiana with the unbeaten team, Bobby Knight. It was UCLA, Michigan, and Rutgers. But that got me the head coaching job at the University of Detroit. <clears throat> I go there. We're successful. We have the best team in the history of the university. We went 21 in a row. We go to the Sweet 16. First time the team is university's ever been in the NCAA tournament. So my life is going unbelievable. I'm like from 1970 to sixth grade teaching and coaching in high school. In 78, I'm coaching in the NBA. Figure that out. And along the way, I've been a head coach in college. I've been a, an athletic director. They made me head coach athletic director. I was the youngest in the country in my early 30s uh, at the University of Detroit. And then I go to the Pistons and I get fired. And when I got fired, I thought it was the end of the world. I really did. I was so depressed, so down. Nobody returns calls. But it ended up being a tremendous experience. But to get to that question you asked, my first I wanted to get back coaching in college. Had no interest in TV. I didn't know anything about TV. And I told that to the fellow that called me, Scotty Connell, when he said to me, Dick would like you to do our very one of our very first big games, the Polo, Wisconsin. And I said, really? For who? And he said, ESPN. I actually said to him, sounds like a disease. What is ESPN? And the bottom line is it's become a disease. I've been in 41 years. But I would tell you, it hit me. He kept always telling me, and I didn't know what he meant. Scotty was a giant in the world of production, uh, worked at NBC for years, came over, ran all of ESPN in terms of production and remotes. And he always kept telling me after I started, he said, you have a trait that's unbelievable. He says, you connect with people. Whether they agree with you or disagree, they're leaving and saying, did you hear what Dick said? Did you hear what he said? And that's a trait. He said, it's a quality that's special. Not many have that. Don't leave this. And I kept trying to get college jobs. So I wanted to get a, the right college job. And then finally in 1983, so I've been at ESPN now three and a half years. I've been, you know, bouncing around looking for some jobs. I couldn't get the jobs I wanted. And bottom line is I go to the, my first Final Four as an ESPN rep. And I go there and people are coming up for autographs and pictures. 
and I can't believe it. I finally tell Scott, he said, I can't believe this. He said, I told you, my friend, you got a chance to make a lot of money in this, but you know, this uh, occupation, being a broadcaster. And finally, I, I, I started to fall in love with it. And then all of a sudden, the commercials, books, and it was on its way. And I just simply said, you know what? I love what I'm doing. And why go back to that rat race? Because I really believe this, Logan. I believe had I stayed in coaching, I've said this often, and I firmly believe it, because I could handle losing, I would have been dead by 50. I just could not handle losing. It tore my insides to shreds. You've been part of a ton of big moments on ESPN for college basketball. What are the things that you try to do to make sure that you capture those big moments in the best way, uh, partnering with the play-by-play guy? You know, I just try to be myself. I really do. I, I let the emotion, the, the moment um, um, bring out of me what I think is what I'm about. My enthusiasm, my energy. I like to think my knowledge as well. But I, I let the moment play for itself, and then you just react to that moment. As I told you earlier, I really believe the easiest thing to do are games that are great, great games. It's the games that are the blowouts where you got to really – and I, I get a big thrill of people come up to me and they'll say, man, I love listening to all that stuff you talk, man and all that chatter, especially when the game's a blowout. And that, that's a big compliment. That's a big, big compliment. And, and, and you know, I, I, you know you're know, you going to have critics. But in today's day and age, I mean, I got critics out there, obviously. I mean, I don't care who you are, especially when a guy is different and unique. I'm not, I'm not your typical guy out of broadcasting school. You know, I'm not the, the guy that's going to be so smooth and silk. I, you know, the bottom line is, you know, I, I just let the moment take itself. And, and I've, like I said, I wasn't out of broadcasting school, but I'll tell you one great story you get a kick out of. Syracuse, as you know, right, Logan? is one of the great, great schools for uh, developing broadcasters. You're aware of that, right? Of course. You think about Bob Costas, you think more of Albert, you think about, oh, my God, the list goes on and on from out of Syracuse, Mike Tirico, it goes on. So anyway... One day, this is years ago, I don't know, 25 maybe, 30, I don't know, 25 years ago, a guy comes up to me at a circus game I'm doing. He says, you know, I, I'm in a broadcast of the school here, Professor Mom. He said, I want you to notice, we gave a project to our students to pick a broadcaster and do a paper on them. He said, I want you to know that you were picked by more than any of them. And I start laughing. He said, why are you laughing? I said, why are you surprised about that? They all look at me and they say, if that guy can make it, anybody can. So I, I, I really, uh, I've always been able to, fans, the thing I love the most about my job, to be honest with you, is walking in arenas and meeting all the young students, the kids, and how many people come up to me and tell me, man, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, we were passing you in a crowd. We were, and to see that, I mean, this, doing this now, like four decades are over. I'm, I'm one plus in four decades on TV with ESPN. Yeah, I can't believe it. I pinch myself every day. I read that during that first game against Wisconsin and DePaul, uh, you had a lot to learn. You talked to the producers on the air, not understanding yeah. that they, they couldn't be that they couldn't hear you. You missed a production meeting. What were the things you had to do to improve initially to become the broadcaster you are now? Well, what happened after I did my first game? Scotty Connell called me up and he said, "Dick." You got three things we can't teach. I'll remember that conversation uh, like it's uh, yesterday. So you got three things we can't teach. Your enthusiasm is unbelievable. Your knowledge of the game is there. And you're not afraid to give an opinion. But you have no clue, none, 
how to get in and out. He said, but you got such potential. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to assign to you a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Jim Simpson. Jim Simpson took me under his wing. We would go to lunch prior to a game, and he would sit there with me and throw names at me and have me do a quick quick in and out with him, quick in and out, learning the art of doing that. And really, I got to credit Jim uh, with the remotes and Bob Lee in the studio. Bob Lee did the same for me in the studio. Though he was very young, he started the same time I did. He was a lot younger than I was, but he was such a help. And those guys became invaluable to me and, and, and helped me in, a, in a, such a positive way. So again, I owe them a whole lot when I look at these awards. You know, the award I'm, I'm staring at right now, every time I look at it, I, I I say, wow, I can't believe that. The Sports Emmy Award last year, Lifetime Achievement Award, to have my name, my name listed with the giants that have been recipients of this award. Think about the names. Howard Cosell, Keith Jackson, Brent Musburger, Finn Scully. I mean, the Kirk Gowdy. The list is unreal. And the only two analysts on the list are the great, and I mean great, no one's ever been an analyst as good, is John Madden and Mayan. And I'm on that list. And when they called me, Logan, this is a true story. You can check with them. I don't belong on that list. Are you crazy? I don't belong along with those guys. I said, you're wrong, Dick. You're wrong. So I, I, I sometimes, and I really mean this, I guess I underestimate some of the things that I've been able to do during my career. And I think the biggest thing I've been able to do is be able to survive in 40. You know, we live in a, in a way where it's not very objective. It's subjective. And I've been through, I don't know, six, seven, maybe presidents, uh, all kinds of people in charge of basketball. And to be able to survive all that, to me, is one of my great achievements. Because I'll tell you, Logan, there's been a lot of guys who I thought were terrific, terrific, and were no longer working. And it just really, you wonder why. You mentioned being different, and that was kind of the key to your success, that you just don't sound like anyone else. Uh, Was there ever a temptation to try to sound more mainstream or did you always have the confidence that what you do with your catchphrases and your energy and uh, just your unique delivery did you always know that that was the right fit for you no i was going to be myself i mean that's who i am in fact if you talk that i think there's one thing that disturbs me a great deal in broadcasting today is i see guys trying to develop shtick and i never had shtick that's me if you talk to the Detroit writers, they would see me during the course of early in my career. There's a man, you're nothing like you're on when we had you, man. You were even more animated. We tell people, are you kidding me? That he, he's, he's down the scale. And I, I laugh about it because they'll tell you, I was the same guy. Same talk to any guys there. Michael Harrow covered me for years. He covers football for the NFL, and he did that for years. Detroit News still living, still doing work out there. Uh, unfortunately, Jerry Green and guys like that aren't there anymore. But the bottom line is those guys would tell you that's who I was. And, and for me to change, I see guys out there. It's so unreal. When I watch, for example, Chris Berman, that's real. That's real. His passion and his love and his nicknames, that's all real. John Madden was real. Terry Bradshaw is real. I mean, and then you see guys out there trying to develop something that they're not, and it comes across so fraudulently and so phony. If there's anything that ever bothered me in, in being critiqued, and we're all sensitive, is when somebody says, well, you know, he's got shtick. I ain't no shtick. That's not shtick. That's who I am. They knew that when they hired me, and that's what they get, and that's what I'm going to do, because I'm not going to change. I said, why change now, man? It's been pretty good. I can tell you that. It's worked pretty well for me. 
All right, we are just about out of time, so I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody that I have on this podcast, and that's to share what I like to call a broadcast horror story, where you're on a broadcast and everything goes wrong or something really strange happens, and you've been at ESPN for a long, long time. I imagine you have a good one. So if you could just share some kind of just crazy story from your time broadcasting, I'd love to hear it. Well, well, I got one. I, I think it was a little crazy. It was for me. It was a nerve-wracking situation. We're going to do a game. <clears throat> it's a great game. It's number one in the country, Virginia, against North Carolina with a guy named Michael Jordan and a guy named Ralph Sampson. One in three, man. Nothing bigger and better than that. It's in Carolina. You're going to see these two greats, the player of the year, two years in a row, Sampson, the young superstar. There we Carolina. Go ready for the game. Snowstorm like crazy. Oh, my God. It is unbelievable. Can't get in. Jim Simpson, I believe, was going to do the game with me, and he, he couldn't get in. And we're panicking for a deuce. I said, oh, look at me, man. I ain't doing this by myself. There's no way. There's no way we're going to do that. And finally, they tracked. They got a, a local a reporter from North Carolina to do the play-by-play. And he came in so enthusiastic, man. He knew everything about every Carolina player and statistics. And our producer says, look, that's all great that you know all that. All I want you to do is just get Dick into the game and get him going about the players, etc." But that was a nerve-wracking moment because there is no way that I'd ever be able to call play-by-play. None whatsoever. Those guys are so skilled and so talented in doing that. And I'm telling you, my heart drop because I think he was getting an idea well you may have to do this solo tonight and lucky for me I didn't have to well that's all the time we have today Mr. Vital I really appreciate you taking some time to come on the Say the Damn Score podcast well Logan can I get one other thing out you have a moment for one more I got as much time as you as you want to give no I just want to give this out and share it it was very dear to my heart more than anything that means to me is raising money for kids battling cancer. As I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking at a brochure with a bunch of youngsters that I've gotten to know their families, knew them, and they've all lost their life to cancer. And it just breaks my heart every time I think about some of these youngsters like Peyton Wright, the youngster I know a dad really well. He'll tell you it's life-changing, man. I think about kids like Chad Carr, for example. His mom and dad are raising money like crazy up in Ann Arbor trying to battle a disease he died of, DIPG. I think about Tony Colton. In fact, Tony Colton passed away about two years ago, and I was there in a hospital when I went to visit him. And, I, and, and he called me over to the bed, and he told me, because Tony knew he'd been to my gala. I have a gala every year, year Logan. People can go to dickvitale.com, and they can learn more about my gala and about what we do. I mean, this year it's going to be September 4th. We cross our fingers that we're clear by then to have it. We're going to be honoring Bruce Arians. We're going to be honoring the likes of Stephen A. Smith, Mark Few. Uh, we're giving special John Saunders Courage Awards to Jim Kelly, quarterback of the Bills years ago, a Hall of Famer who inspires so many with his battle against cancer. Pat Williams, uh, the architect who built the Orlando Magic, and he's another one that inspires people in his battle with cancer. And then we're going to give a quarter of a million dollar grant out to Mitch – 
album for the memory of his daughter who lost her life to brain cancer. So it's a special, special time, and, and I need people to help me. My goal is $5 million this year. So far, we've raised $29.5 million. I want to hit $35 million on September 4th. So people could join my team, Logan, if you could tell your people. All they got to do is go to DickVitale.com, and they can make a donation, any donation, $100, $200, $500, whatever they can afford. And I know it's tough times, but if they can afford it, I really, really hope and pray that they could join me with my team and help me raise $5 million. And we're going to do a donation campaign when this is released. So I do appreciate you taking the time to say that. But again, just thanks so much for giving me a little bit of your time and coming on the show. Oh, no problem, Logan. You're well prepared. You do a great job. You got a voice of a broadcaster, man. There's no doubt about it. And that's what you, you want to be a play by play guy? I am a play by play guy. You are? Where are you a play by play guy? I am a freelancer in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, oh. in the Twin Cities. I can tell that. I can tell that right away. So maybe someday you work with me. <laughs> I would love that. Well, you have a great rest of your day, Dick. Hi, Logan. If I was simply on TV, I'd say, Logan's awesome, baby, with a capital A. And thank you to Dick Vitale again. It means the world that he took the time to come on this show. But as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are going to start our brand new segment, Answer the Damn Question, Logan. I solicited four questions via social media, and I got four of them this episode, which isn't bad for it being the very first time we did this. Hopefully we'll have more as we go forward, and maybe we'll do this for a couple weeks and it will die. We'll see. But the first question I got is probably the most productive one, and it's from John Little. He says, I make a lot of word lists, and then they never make the light of day in my broadcasts. How do you practically work new vocabulary into your calls? I don't always feel real qualified to answer broadcast questions. I know I'm a good broadcaster, not a great broadcaster. I'm still trying to improve. But this is one thing that I've actually been pretty successful in doing. And what I do is, A, I make a giant list that I have posted in uh, on SayTheDamnScore.com for anyone to look at. And then what I'll do is I'll watch YouTube videos and I'll just pick whatever I'm going to work on describing, whether it's missed jump shots, rebounds, passes, handoff to the running back, and I just figure out five ways that I want to say them in about a five-minute clip, and I just force them in there. And I would never do this in a real broadcast, but if you force it in in that environment, you familiarize yourself with the lingo, and then over time, it comes naturally when you're actually on the air just to describe things different ways. So that's what I've found that has worked for me as far as building vocabulary on broadcasts. Ghazal Hassan, he asks, why is Vermilion such a great place? And he's being a smart aleck because he knows I used to work there and he got stuck there in a snowstorm, which he mentioned when he was on this podcast, or he nearly got stuck. He didn't actually get stuck. He just got out. He was able to drive to Sioux City and catch a flight or a car. I don't remember how the heck he got out, but he did. But I do want to give Vermilion a shout-out. It's the home of the University of South Dakota. I worked there for two years, and it is a really nice town. And in fact, the motto of that town is Love Vermilion, but it's just L-O-V, but the V is capital, 
and then Vermilion, the VE. So it's a play on words, Gazal. So they actually have a lot of really nice uh, restaurants and some fun uh, nightlife establishments there. Not a huge variety, but what they do have is quite good. And hey, you know what? I enjoyed my time there. I had some great clients there when I was doing sales at the radio station that helped support my me and my wife and helped me to make a living. So nothing bad to say about Vermilion. David Shepard asks, what is Brett Favre's reputation like in Minnesota? What about all day? And David, this is going to be maybe a little bit of a surprise if you haven't listened to this podcast a lot, but... I am not a Minnesota Vikings fan. I do not even have a favorite NFL team. I grew up in Nebraska where college football means everything. And probably the only thing that I really consider myself a hardcore fan of to this day is Nebraska Cornhusker football. In middle school, I got a jacket of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that was right when they were pretty good with Mark Brunel and Fred Taylor and Tony Boselli and Jimmy Smith. I believe they made the AFC Championship game a couple times, but I got a jacket just because I thought it looked cool and just adopted the team a little bit until probably about midway through college. And then they just got so bad, and I never really had any passion or real reason to root for them outside of the fact that I liked their logo on my jacket that I just moved on and I've never really picked up another team. I root for the Vikings to win because they are in this neighborhood, and it makes everyone around me happy if they win, but I'm somewhat ambivalent. With that being said, what I have noticed is that Adrian Peterson all day is still more popular here than Brett Favre. I think that that has been complicated with the child abuse allegations and the fact that he fumbled all the time and never really won anything, but Brett Favre while I think they enjoyed his time here, is still a Green Bay Packer, first and foremost. And people here don't like the Green Bay Packers. It's far and away their biggest rival. I don't know if it is the same way the other way, where Green Bay Packers hate the Vikings, but I can definitely tell you that there is strong sports hate between Minnesota Vikings fans and the Packers. If Brett Favre would have won and not thrown that interception in the NFC Championship game. I think his legacy would have been different, but he never was able to come through for the Vikings. And I think he's just too much of a Packer. You don't see a lot of Favre jerseys running around. What you do see in the Twin Cities, people here love Randy Moss. That's the guy that I think people have latched on to in my generation of people who right now are probably between the age of uh, 20 and 35 Randy Moss was the guy, and that is what stands out to me. And again, I'm not the most qualified person to answer that because I've been here almost two years and I'm not a huge Minnesota sports fan, but that is my opinion on that particular question. Last question comes from Joel Morgan. He's a friend of mine. He was also on the podcast once. Three of the four people who turned in questions have all been on the podcast And Joel Morgan sent this in a meme on Twitter, and it just said, Why are you the way you are? I don't think he expected me to actually answer it. And I'm not sure if he consistently listens to the podcast, so I'm not going to tell him that I answered this, and we'll see if he finds it on his own, and I'll let you know the next time we do this. But the way that I am the way I am is a special combination of genetics 
and life experiences that have built me into the way I am. I don't have any better answer than that. I wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider. Nobody has turned me into a Marvel hero. So that's the way I am. Nature and nurture. That's not a very good answer, but that's what I have. And again, that was give the damn answer, Logan. And if you want to ask a question for next episode, you'll have two weeks. And we will try it again. Just send an email to saythedamnscore at gmail.com or send a tweet or DM to radio underscore Logan. Or you can send something to the Facebook page or any other way that you can find to connect with me. I will take your questions and we'll do it right here. I hope you enjoyed that, but that's going to do it for the day. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please remember to donate to the Jimmy V Foundation, whether it's through the GoFundMe that I set up in this show notes and on the top of saythedamnscore.com, or if you just want to donate on your own, uh, obviously it goes to a great cause, and I really encourage it. Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Logan Anderson. And the next time you're on the air, say the damn score just a little bit more.